Let's conclude our look at uh, Matthew chapter 7 with the Sermon on the Mount. And we're looking at the last um, what is it, six verses. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Let's read. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, once again we come before your throne to thank you for this opportunity that we had, this opportunity that you have created, Lord, that we might look into your precious word. Father, we thank you for it, and we thank you that it is uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts even to the bone and the marrow, and we thank you that even now it will discern the thoughts and intents of our own hearts, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit would open up our own understanding about where we are with respect to your word, as we look into it like a mirror, we would pray this morning that we would see our, our true selves and that we would respond in kind. Father, we just pray that you would give us the courage and conviction to live your word and not just be hearers of it, but rather doers. We thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when I was growing up, we spent a lot of days at my grandparents' place. Uh, a lot of evenings that we spend over there, and I had I have a lot of fond memories about those days, where we would have you know my grandparents, my parents, and we'd have oftentimes the, all families would get together, and I, I remember one of the uh, most common things that they would do is the men would go off playing cards. The Italians have a love of cards, and they they'd be playing cards for hours and hours, um, and the women would be doing a whole lot of other things, um, but. I remember growing up, I used to love building the, you know the card house, the, the house of cards? Ever tried building those? I used to love doing that when I was, when I was young. And you'd get to the second, third, fourth, and then to really impress, you'd get, you know, maybe even to a fifth, a fifth level. Inevitably, my brother would come along and knock them down. But um, it was fun doing that. And one thing I learned fairly quickly was I couldn't build... Uh, a house of cards on my grand, straight on my grandmother's laminex covered table because it was too smooth. So when you start to when you start with your first two cards, they'd slip, and you you, you couldn't build anything that was ever lasting because as soon as someone tapped the table, they'd all fall fall over. So I I I've, I learned to put first up if there wasn't a tablecloth there already, I'd put a tea towel, and I'd I'd build it on top of a tea towel. And what's even better is if the tea towel was a bit moist. If the tea towel was a bit damp, the tea towel would stick to the table better. It wouldn't move, and the, the actual cards would stay on there. So try it if you got a, if you got a chance. And my, there was never any gambling though. Okay, so there was never any gambling over there. They just they just play these cards and pass the time. Um, so a child learns 
um, fairly quickly that you can't build a house of cards on a smooth surface. It needs to be um, something different. It can't, you can't build a house of cards on a polished table or a, or a crooked table because it's just impossible to do that. Um, but how much more about how much more important is the foundation for matters of life and death? How much more important is um, a good foundation when it comes to eternity and when it comes to our own lives and the things that we, we build in our own lives? Um, Jesus concludes this sermon on the Mount over here by declaring that those who listened only to his words um, and follow his instructions were like wise people. Wise people who built a house on a solid foundation. And when the trials came of life and, and when the final test comes in the end, their house would stand firm. But those who listened to what he had to say but didn't bother ever putting anything into practice or doing anything about it were like foolish people who built a, who built a house and went to all the trouble to build the thing but the foundation was so... Um, bad, that when the, when the storms came, when the pressures came, when the trials and tribulations came, the, 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 the structure couldn't stay because it would move and it would fall. And all of life is a bit of a structural process. We're all building a house. We're all building something. And some of you may not realise it, but you are building something in your life, even now. By being here, you are building something. When you go to work, you're building something. The way you are with people means you are building something. We are all building something in our lives. Imagine the story of a young girl, or a, uh, imagine a young girl who, as she grows up and when she's very young, was always ready to listen and obey her parents. She was always ready to lend a hand around the house, and she would always make good choices based on what she learned from her parents and Maybe from church. Imagine this young girl who would speak politely to people around her, who would show love to her family and friends. Now, what is this girl building? Is she building something? Definitely, she's building something. Of course she is. She's building a sense of trust in her mother and her father's heart. There may come a day when that, that, that young girl's mother may be lying on her deathbed with only a few days to live. And as her mother may be facing eternity with the prospect of that young girl maybe having to look after the family because the mother would be, would be soon gone, um, the mother wouldn't have to say something along the lines of, you know, Jane means well, but I can't trust her. Instead, the mother would have peace in her heart, knowing that the, the structure that her daughter's built, the evidence of what she's seen with her own eyes, gives her peace because what she's done and the habits that she's formed and the, the, the type of person she is gives her confidence, maybe to say something on the lines, I trust that you'll do what's right. I know that you will continue to do the very things that I've come to trust you for. Now, that's the type of thing you want people to say about you, isn't it? That's a person who's built their life on a solid foundation. We have, every one of us, a house to build. And that house is temporal and eternal. And people who are in the world don't realise they're building an eternal house. 
but they will one day discover that the house that they've built for themselves, whether it will stand or the test of eternity, not just of time. But we understand as Christians that when we build, when we involve ourselves, when we do things in our lives, as we grow in God's word and as we grow in the grace of the Lord, that we are building not just a temporal home that can withstand the pressures of life, but we are building an eternal home that will stand the test of eternity. Your foundation is made of your beliefs. You believe something truly, you'll do it. Your actions are generally a good indication of what you actually believe. People often say, and, and one of the things I, I um, when I'm sharing the gospel with families and friends, who I know call themselves Christians, they might, be, they might say they're Catholic or whatever, and they say they, they believe in God. But I know deep down that they don't have any belief because there's no action. There's no choices that align with, with what God would have them choose. And they, they continue along a path of complete ignorance of what God would have them to do. So when they say they believe God, when they say that they, they go to church or they do this or they do that, um, I, I have to be sceptical about that. Because where there's no evidence or no fruit of what a person says they believe... Uh, causes me to say that they're building a house on sand. But when I see a person who says, I believe in God, and I see that in their life, they give, they love, they're faithful, they, they, they read God's word, they understand it, they take the time to do the things that are important. They focus on important things, and the, the things that are insignificant, they, they put second and third, and they leave those to the side. When I see people who are stable in their lives um, don't get um, swept around by every wind of doctrine and don't get caught up in, in silly things, I have to say, I have to conclude that those people are on a good foundation. The foundation that people have is generally unseen. We don't see the foundation anymore. But the actions are seen. The words are heard. The choices are revealed. And those are the things that are observable. If your foundation is based on the truth of God, then the structure that you build on top of that truth, the choices that you make, the actions, your works, will be solid as well. We have... Spent some time with the youth on Friday night, and I actually really enjoyed it because Eddie was uh, getting ready to go to Adelaide, and he got sick with some stones as well, with some kidney stones. So he called me at the last minute and said, "Can you please uh, spend some time with the uh, the young people and um, and share the, uh, the a message with them?" So I understand that he when I, when I asked him what they were doing, he said they were working through the Book of Proverbs, not working through it systematically, but, but going from here to there and, um, and, and looking at different sections. So we did the same. We continued that, uh, that particular course and we chose chapter 12 of Proverbs and we went through each line by line and, and what sometimes when you read it didn't make sense straight up front. When you started to put it in the context of, uh, of everyday life, you realised, oh, is that what it's saying? Like? And it's amazing. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12 because I found some interesting things there and God is amazing. <laughs> Because 
the verses that we read in Proverbs chapter 12 um, align themselves very, very closely to what we're talking about today. I'll just pick four verses. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 3. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. Verse 13. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. Verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Now, look at those four verses. You'll notice something about those four verses. Do you notice, do you notice a pattern? You'll notice there's a colon in the middle of each of those verses. In fact, that whole chapter has a colon in the middle of it, and has an every verse is split up into two parts. The Lord here uses the same device or similar device that King Solomon used where he would contrast the good with the bad. The good with the bad. You'll notice, see verse 3, man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. The wicked are overthrown not. Sorry, the wicked are overthrown and are not, which means they don't exist after that. In contrast to the righteous the house of the righteous shall stand. Verse 13, the wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, which means they're caught, with, they're caught up in their own lies. But the just shall come out of trouble. And finally, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is, is wise. You'll notice that those verses do the same thing that Jesus is doing in this chapter. He's likening the wise person who listens to his words and puts them into practice as a man who's building a house on a solid foundation compared to the one who listens to the words, doesn't do them, is building a house on sand. And King Solomon's doing the same over here. And you'll notice that the verses I've picked actually say the same thing. The house of the, of the wicked will not stand. The way of the fool might be right in his own, own eyes, but the one who hearkens or listens to wise counsel is wise himself. Let's, let's compare the two individuals, just briefly. Let's see where they resemble each other, the wise and the foolish. Well, they both heard the sayings of Christ. These, aren't, these two people, it's not as if one heard and one didn't. They both had the same opportunity to listen to what Jesus was teaching. They both heard. They both understood. They both saw the necessity of actually building a house. They both understood that they had to build some sort of structure to protect them from the, the wind and the rain and the floods when they came. They both understood that and they both went ahead and built this house. They both put effort into what, what they thought was important in their life so they both built this house. And finally, they were both, those, both of those homes were exposed to storms, to wind and rain and flood. But now look where they differ. They differed in their characters. One responded differently to what he heard, to the other. One took 
what was said more seriously than the other one. One allowed the things that he heard to affect him, not just in his head, but in his heart. And so much so that he actually went ahead and did and followed those things. In their practice, one was a hearer and one was a doer. In their judgments, they were different too. You see, one judged. One judged that the teachings that Jesus had or the things that he said weren't important enough to follow up on. Do you see? So he had a different evaluation of what was being taught. How many sermons have we heard in our lives? <laughs> Plenty. How many do we remember? <laughs> Only probably a few. Have they had an effect on you? Probably. The reason you, you, we have sermons every week, the reason we come to church every week, it's not, that, it's not that you have a big change in your life and God expects you to hear something once and then, and then all of a sudden take it all in at once and then have a huge monumental difference in your life. Um, we don't tend to work like that and God knows it. God knows that when you hear a sermon like the sermon today, there may be one or two points you're going to take away with you that may, be, that may affect you. And those points will be determined. What you take away with you will be determined by two things. What the Spirit's trying to get through to you. Because there is, there's a sermon that's been written here. But each part of the sermon may attack or approach a person with a different need. So you all have different needs. You're all at different places. You're all at different spiritual levels. You all have certain weaknesses and certain strengths. So... In the same message, what's amazing about God is that the Holy Spirit is able to take a certain part of this message and to meet your need where you are. So will you have to remember the whole message? No, you won't have to remember the whole message. You may remember the message, and it may come out at a time when God needs you, when you need it. But generally God knows that we tend to grow bit by bit by bit by bit. And it tends to be an accumulation of this knowledge of God. But in this particular case, Jesus says that the man who was the man who was foolish listened to the words of Jesus and didn't take them seriously enough to put them into action. Because I'll tell you something now: if I if I rang, well, we had a um, I'll just share the story with you. We had a, an, a, a, a trial evacuation at our work a little while ago. Ever been involved in those? Trial evacuations. Now, they're, they're amazing things, aren't they? Someone rang a horn. Someone blew a horn in the middle of the staff room. And there were people all over the place. And the first thing, I was upstairs in the, in the boardroom and, and I was with someone else. And we looked at each other and we go, it's a drill. The first thing we, we, we said to each other. So, were we taking it seriously? No. Nah. We then waited for someone to run upstairs to get us. And then we said, okay, yeah, we're coming down, we're coming down. So we slowly made our way out. Some people were running in, back into the building and, uh, to, get, to get things they weren't meant to be getting. And, and then they're meant to, it was meant to be a meeting point, you know, so that they can tick off who's there, who's present. You know what I mean? Because if there's people that are missing... You've got, to go, you've got to go back in the building and, and, and get them, and someone's got that responsibility. So we, some people 
went to the one meeting place and some people went straight to somewhere else. And then we're trying to count who's, who's here. My brother was missing. My brother thought it was too, uh, it was a whole waste of time. So he, he went off some, some other direction and saying, where's, where's Tony? Where's Tony? He's in the fire. He's going to die. But um, he wasn't too worried about that. We didn't take it. We we didn't follow through with the action because we didn't take it seriously. That's the whole thing. We didn't follow through with with obedience, right? Because we didn't we didn't think it was important enough to do that. We didn't think our lives were in danger. But I'll tell you now: if a fire, if smoke starts billowing through there, and I tell you guys evacuate, get out of here, you won't be messing around dawdling, will you? Because you appreciate the importance of the knowledge that's just been given to you. And this is the difference between these two men, these two people, that are listening to Jesus' message. One thinks, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let me think about it a bit more. And three weeks later, hasn't done anything about it. The other one listens to it and says, wow, that's important. I better do something about that right now. And they go ahead and do something about it. And that's the difference between a person building on sand and a person building on Solid rock. The other differences were, or the final difference was that, you know something? The scriptures say here that when the house fell, it was a great fall. It was a big fall, which means the house was not repairable anymore. The house was completely finished. And you know what the sad thing was? is that the person who built the house on the sand was inside the home when it fell. So he was finished himself. So one survived and one didn't. And what sort of trials do we speak of here? And it says, where it says in verse 25, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. You know something? There are many storms that we have experienced already in our lives. And there, there will probably be more storms to come. The storms of tribulation, the storms of persecution, of affliction, of death, of sickness, of judgment. Um, the storms you have in your life may be people, someone who betray a close friend who may, be, who may betray you. Someone who lets you down. So, something that doesn't go right and you have, maybe you have an accident or a loved one has... Uh, has a, a, a severe illness. Um, those are the storms that we face more generally in our lives. If we were living overseas, some of the tribulations that we'd experience might be different. Maybe meeting in this place could be a dangerous thing to do. Maybe you, you, may, you may be thrown in prison for what you believe. You might face death for what you believe. We don't face those sorts of tribulations and trials here, but there are other ones that we face. And everyone, if you look at it, it's generally relative. The most interesting part of trials, the most interesting part of going through really hard times in your life is that it does something. It reveals what sort of foundation you have in your life. And if you can't withstand the storm that's approaching you, it may tell you that your foundation is not very strong. There are some times in our lives, and God allows us, sometimes people wonder, why does God allow Christians to go through hard times? Ever wondered that? Have you ever asked the question, why is God doing this to me? 
Or why is God allowing this to happen to me? What did I do to deserve what's going on in my life? Well, the answer may simply be you didn't deserve to go through something bad, but God may simply be allowing you to go through a particular trial, through a particular tribulation in your life, simply to show you where you're at. Simply to show you where you are, really. Because one of, the, one of the problems that we have as people is that the Bible teaches the heart is deceptive above all things. So our hearts may even deceive us into thinking or believing that we are standing on solid ground, that we have it all worked out, that everything's in place and everything is, is right in my life. And look at me, I do A, B, C and D. But you know when the trials come and the tribulations come, how we respond to those tribulations then really reveals where you're at, whether you've got it all together, whether everything is sweet and everything is good. Now, Peter discovered that, didn't he? The apostle Peter, or the, the disciple Peter, when they were betraying Jesus, was ready to pick up a sword, and actually did, and went to slice off someone's head, but got his ear. I don't think he was aiming for the ear, to be honest with you. And he said to Jesus, I'll stand, I'll stand for you wherever you go. I will never betray you. I will never let you down. I'll, I'm with you all the way. Look, I'm going to fight to the end. And then when Jesus is taken away and there's a little girl who, who, who says to him in front of, while he's warming himself in front of the fire, aren't you one of those disciples that followed Jesus? His answer was, no. Don't know what you're talking about foundation that Peter had was not very strong and it was revealed at that stage was it for his, for his detriment? no God allowed him to go through that to show him precisely where he was at he needed to see it because sometimes if you don't see it you can't do anything about it, can you? you'll just go along your merry way thinking that everything is fine the final Thing, the final storm that a person must weather, though, is the judgment of God. That's the final one. That is the final test to see whether the house you have built was actually built properly on a good foundation or whether it is a house of sticks built on sand. The scripture says that when the house fell, it was to the ruin of the people that were living in the house. They were finished. The house was finished and the actual people were finished. It was a fall that was total and irreparable. It couldn't be fixed. And that's, that refers, I think, more to the final judgment than anything else. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is one house to build here. And one house... That, that will be presented before God and God's fire will test the house. On the other hand, the one who obeys Jesus, the one who accepts the teaching and actually does it, was never in danger of the house falling down. Did you get that? It was never in danger. And being aware, being aware that... that you have Christ in your life and Christ is your foundation and you are living the life and there are fruits of it in, in your own life and you, you see that, 
gives you a tremendous sense of peace that the person who's building their house on sand does not have. The result is certain. Nothing can blow your house down. No big bad wolf can come to the door and blow it down because the house is solid on a solid foundation. On the other hand, someone who knows the word of God and doesn't do it should have no confidence that their house is going to stand, that they're building a house that's actually solid. Does it mean we're perfect? No. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that you know in your heart, deep down, where you're at. I can't know your heart. There are only two, God and yourself. And sometimes yourself can deceive yourself or myself, and it takes God to actually open up our eyes and our understanding to see where we're actually at. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. We'll look at a, a couple more passages here. I want you to understand what sort of house is being built if you are a believer this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are labourers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, this is Paul, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another built, buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon, thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now this is talking about the foundation being laid, which is Christ, and what sort of edifice you're building on top of that. What sort of home you're building. The first point is, if you are a believer, you need to understand that you are God's building. God owns you. He is the owner of your life. You are owned by God. Your life was commenced by God. He was the one who gave you the foundation, and he's the one who commenced the building. The Bible says here that we are laborers together with God, so we have a part to play in what structure goes on top of the foundation that he gave us. And the foundation is only one. That's Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. If he is the foundation for your life, then you can have confidence building on top of that foundation. If he's not the foundation of your life, then you should have no confidence building a structure on it, whatever structure you want to build, whether it is made of gold or silver or precious jewels, it doesn't matter because it will eventually fall. And in fact, you can't build with gold, jewels and precious and precious stones if you don't have the foundation of Christ in your life because I'll explain to you what those are. The difference between people who build, and this is our challenge, 
The difference between people who, once they have Jesus as the foundation of their life, what they build is determined by whether you do things that are eternal in nature or whether you do things that are only temporary in nature. You see, the, if you build with gold, silver and precious stones, when the fire comes, those things will remain. They are a picture of something that is precious and something that is permanent. So when we do things and we do them for the Lord, if your life is focused on heaven and not on the earth, then you will do things that are eternal in nature. The words you speak, the actions you take, the choices you make, the works that you involve yourself in will have an eternal value. They'll stay. You know, if God, if God wants you to speak to a person next to you about the gospel, okay, and you do it, and the Spirit's prompted you to do that, the words that you speak will have an eternal value and God does not forget them. That's building with gold, silver and precious jewels. God wants you to, if God wants to build you up in the truth so you can share that truth with other people and the people will see your life as, as a believer and someone who's different than people in this world, you don't understand how small sometimes, what, what small things can do to other people around you. What small words, how, how much they make a difference to people who are either suffering, hurting, confused. And sometimes we, God is prompting us to do certain things, to say certain things, to make certain choices, and we pull back and we don't do those things, and we lose the opportunity. But God gives us an opportunity to build a house made of precious things, His things, because they're the things that will last. There's a saying that I just, it just come to mind about that. All things that are done for Jesus will, will last. But everything that's done for this world will not last. If you focus, though, on things of this world, if your mind is consumed with, with all the thoughts of, of the life, the temporary life that, that's in this world, of building up wealth and doing this and doing that, if that's what your life revolves around, then understand that that, that life and those things, though you need to do them, are not gold and silver and precious jewels. Those things are wood, hay and stubble. Those things won't last for an eternity. And if your heart is in those things, then you're building up a house made of sticks. And when God's, God's uh, fire comes through and burns all the rubbish away, all the temporary rubbish away, what's going to be left? You know, it says here that there's, if, if a man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. You see, the type of choices you make, the things you do, if they are eternal, the Bible says we get receive a reward for those things. Because there, there is something precious that is, that's remaining. There is something precious that's there. But if in the end it says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. You may... And this, I think, is, refers more to people that get saved later on in life. But if you get saved later on in life and you don't get an opportunity to, you know, to, to build anything on that, then praise God, you're saved. The foundation was laid. 
But when you get through and the fire tests whatever you've done and there's nothing to show for it, there's no reward. Understand that. Now, some people say, oh, is it fair that someone gets saved just before they die? They might have been a really bad person all their life and you know, they die just, just before they, you know, they, they get saved just before they die. Well, that's God's prerogative, first of all, to save people and to, and to, uh, and to rescue them from hell. But then the difference is, for you who have maybe been faithful for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, the difference is that you have a reward. That God doesn't forget even a glass of water you give to someone in Jesus' name. Understand that. God, does, God never forgets the good that you do. And this is the, the joy that we have as believers, that everything we do, understand God never forgets. He never forgets. So continue in building and build with good things. Today we're doing discipleship classes in there, and I think that's a great thing. I think that's an, an, an incredibly important thing, that people understand not just, not just about doctrine, because doctrine's okay, but how it relates to them and how they can then explain it to other people. I think that's important. So don't be a foolish builder. People who choose not to build, who choose to listen to Jesus' words and don't do what he says, are generally characterised by three types. People who have built who are building or have their hope in doctrines or rituals or denominations or those sorts of things. They're proud about what denomination they're part of or they're proud about what doctrinal stance they have or they may be proud of the rituals and the things that they do. But I tell you, those things aren't the things that form the foundation. It's not about what doctrinal position you have. But it's what's in here. Some people that have got the right doctrine are some of the most terrible people. You can have your doctrine all lined up. You can have all your ducks lined up in a row. But if in the end, you aren't, if those doctrines don't affect the way you live, the way you speak, the way you act around other people, then it's pointless having those doctrines. You may as well be building your house on sand. These types of people who reject the teachings of Christ are often trusting in their own goodness. They think that, that what they have within themselves is good enough to bring to God. Which goes against what the Bible teaches. In other words, they belittle the atoning work of Jesus Christ and they lift their own good works up. You know, when, when the fire comes through for those, those types of works there, there's going to be nothing left at all. Because there will be no foundation. Not even the foundation will be left. And some people who hear the gospel aren't impacted enough in their minds and in their hearts to follow through on those things like I've said to you before. They hear, they hear, they hear, they hear, but nothing ever sinks into their lives. And so... They can go through one year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, forty years, and they're still the same as they were at the beginning. A life completely wasted and nothing to show for it. Let's not be like those people. Let's not build something.
for 50, 60 years and then have nothing to show for it. And a faulty foundation doesn't always show at once, but sooner or later, the faulty foundation will reveal itself in people's works. You'll see it. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James says in verse 22, and this is the same thing that Jesus is saying, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But if any, if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. He's saying the same thing. There are too many people in, in Christianity who hear, who, even in what I would call apostate churches, who hear and they, they might read a passage from Scripture and should be enough to actually to prick their conscience. It should be enough to, to drive some point home to them, to make them understand. There's enough of it there to get them to see where they're at. But, as James says here, it's like someone who looks into a mirror, or he says a glass, you look at yourself and you say, oh, okay. And as, you, as soon as you turn away, you forget what you look like. That's what these people are like. They look, but they don't see. They hear, but they can't listen. Nothing sinks in. It's like the, the sower of the seed who, who threw the seed on the ground and some of it fell by the wayside. Okay? It fell on a path. And the Bible says that the birds came and, and ate the seed straight away. Didn't have any effect. Couldn't sink in. Couldn't do anything. And the devil came and straight away takes away what, what they heard so it doesn't have any impact in their lives. And the devil does do that. The devil will do everything he can that once you hear a message, whether it's here or anywhere, to distract you from understanding that message and allowing it to sink in your heart. Because the word of God is like a seed. And when it's planted in your heart, and if your heart is fertile ground, if it's ready to accept that seed, the seed will go in, it will start to form a root. And after a while, that root will grow deeper and deeper. And it will start to, to grow up. And eventually, it will form a fruit. It will form fruit if it's been planted there. But too many people's hearts aren't ready to receive God's word. Too many people's hearts are like either a stone, a rocky ground, or some other type. Where the actual the thing it can't sink in, if it's too shallow, it can't sink in and actually form a root. What type of heart do you have this morning? James guarantees here that a person who continues in the truth, that is, follows it, believes it and follows it, will be blessed. This blessing is the same blessing 
that a person has who builds a home that can withstand the storm. That person is blessed. Because it doesn't matter what storms may come, that person is secure in their home. Do you have that security this morning? What storms are currently in your life? I'm sure that there are some of you that are going through some serious storms at the moment. I'm sure there are some of you who are seeing the floodwaters rise and you're not exactly sure how to, how to deal with it. If you have Jesus as your foundation, if you're building on that, if you're following through with what he's teaching you, then you can, be, you can have confidence in your home. Do you have a strong foundation of God's word in your life? Are you living it? Let's close up with 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 verse 5 Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture Behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone in which the builders disallowed, and the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now, understand something. What you do with Jesus, what you, how seriously you take him will depend on what foundation you have in your life. If, he's, if you're serious about trusting him with your eternal destiny, you know, people say, I've accepted Christ as my saviour and, and I'm trusting him for, for heaven, for a home in heaven, correct? Then trust him every day on the earth. There has to be a trust in his teachings on the earth. And if you don't follow any of his teachings on the earth, how can you say you're trusting him for heaven? How can you say you trust him for something which you can't see, but don't trust him for the things that you do see? Think about it. You are a holy priesthood, the Bible says, being built up into a spiritual house by God, in which the Holy Spirit lives. That is something incredibly exciting. That is, that is amazing when you think of it. Now God took people like us who were sinners and, and hell bound and had no hope. And he took us, he cleaned us, and he made us a habitable people. And now, not just that he's put the Holy Spirit into me and you and you and you and you, but that he's actually building us together into this amazing home where his Holy Spirit lives. So remember your place. Remember who you are. And if you really put your, your faith in Christ, then follow what he says each and every day and build that solid foundation in your life because when the winds come and the rain falls and the floods rise, 
you'll be able to withstand him. And when you stand before him one day, and your, sol- your foundation has been solidly on Christ and his word, then you can look at God and say, here I am. And he can say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's remember that today. God bless you.